City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. You are listening to Inside the Hive on the All Hornets Podcast Network, a preseason edition. Training camp is done. Uh, the All Hornets Podcast is one podcast feed with multiple shows, making sure we cover the Charlotte Hornets from every angle. If you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, and also be aware that the All Hornets Podcast is affiliated with the Fans First Sports Podcast group. Today's show... We're starting off with a few bits of news, a Kai Jones trade request, our first look of an injury report, and then we're going to be looking at what we project the Hornets rotation to be for the first 10 games while Miles Bridges is still suspended. So a lot we've got to touch on. And at the very end, excitingly, we have an exclusive. Nick Richards is coming on the podcast. Um, I grabbed five or so minutes with Nick the other day after the uh, purple and teal scrimmage. Um, so we're going to hear exclusively from Nick Richards talking a little bit about Patrick Ewing, the impact he's had on him, a uh, little bit about how the team's been looking, how his offseason's been, how his golf game's doing, which is obviously the important that everybody wants to know. Um, so we're going to hear from Nick at the end. But first, I need to introduce you the saddest New York Giants fan that I know, Chase Whitney. I mean, I probably, if that would probably describe every New York Giants fan right now. I mean, and Carolina Panthers fans too, by the right, way. Right, yeah. I mean, I was looking at this today, completely off topic. There, every team in the top ten, like, or the what the projected NFL draft order would be for 2024 right now, has two wins or fewer. There are so many bad teams in the NFL. Us Giants fans, Panthers fans, we are subjecting ourselves to horrible football week in and week out, and it's only October. So, definitely yeah. glad that basketball is starting in what uh, six days from when this podcast is going to be posted, or a week, or a little over a week, like. Definitely can't wait to shift gears here already from football. If the Hornets have a good season, this is lining up to be a, a great, oh yeah, a great kind of like let's forget about the Panthers, all aboard the Hornets bandwagon. Um, things things are lining up. This could be a momentous shift of the year, but could let's very get to quickly our regain the momentum they lost after last <laughs> yes. season if they if they come out the gates hot here for sure. Absolutely. First off, we have to start with our news. Um, within an hour before we're going to start recording this podcast, uh, Kai Jones has uh, made his own public trade request, um, which is certainly of interest. Uh, Kai Jones tweeted, I have officially requested to be traded from the Charlotte Hornets. Hashtag goat life. Um, whew. Uh, Chase, you go first. What do you what do you make of this? I mean, probably the loosest use of the word official that I've ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> the hashtag goat life after requesting yeah. <laughs> a trade is like just like superhuman comedian levels. Like that is like you could not write that stuff down. Like you could never script that in a TV show. Like that has to come from the mind of a natural comedic genius, which clearly Kai has fancied himself to be over the last couple of weeks, but like, really like this has just gotten to the point where I hope he figures it out. Like in some way, like, obviously this is not going to go well for him. Uh, if, if I'm correct, like you can't do that under the NBA CBA, like you can't publicly request a trade. You have to inform your team 
or yep. through your agent that way. Like that's why that well, Eric Bledsoe way, I, I've seen five some... years ago is so funny when he said like, I don't want to be here is because he's like not actually requesting a trade, but just alluding to it. Saying it in the way that Kai did is like not allowed under the NBA CBA. So this is obviously, this is not going to come result positively for him in multiple ways because now he's definitely not getting traded and he also might get fined by, by the league. So I don't know well, what he thought was going to happen. The only way Kai Jones was getting traded was is if a team were to trade for him and then wave him. No no team was all you to give yeah. up draft picks to take him for the year. Like There was no team actually trading Kai, for Kai Jones with everything that's been going on with him off the court recently. And, and even if that hadn't been happening, I don't think there were teams queuing up. Um, you know, after his performances last year, his summer league performance. Um, yeah, you, you are right. According to the CBA, I think Kai Jones could get a fine up to one hundred twenty-five or one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, for I was going to publicly... say this is definitely like a fine or suspension yeah. type of punishment thing. You can't just like do that. You mentioned about his agents. I've seen some reports, and I've not been able to, you know, corroborate this, but corroborate that I don't know if Kai Jones has agents right now. Um, that would, that which would do it, is honestly again yeah, like and whether his agency have dropped him, whether he has dropped the agents, I, I don't know, and I don't even know if it's a fact, right? But I've seen some things out there which suggest that could be something out there. I, I don't know, but like it's just a it's a messy situation. And look, this is tricky because there's probably a lot of people who laugh at this situation and criticize the situation. And it's hard because I still think at the root of this is someone who I think is having wrestling with some inner demons from somewhere, uh, whether they're basketball related, non-basketball, I don't know. But I still think this comes from a place of like, there is something potentially some mental health challenges for Kai Jones. And like, that's why I'm hesitant to, to jump on, to, you know, use him as a punching bag. Because I just think that's what's at the heart of this. Um, and just that draft class with James Booknight, the off-court issues he's had, Ty Jones, the off-court issues, Scotty Lewis is out the NBA, you know, after his injury. Um, JT Thor is the only one left from that four-person draft class. Um, it's just, wow. What a, what a real train wreck that draft class was. And... More than ever, just doesn't this just reaffirm like the importance of knowing who you are drafting as the person, like the character of the people? You look at James Booknight and Kai Jones, athleticism, speed, you know, none of these things were ever questions for these guys. But who they are as people has stopped them from developing into the potential that they had. And it's a, a difficult pill for Charlotte to swallow, but I think one the Hornets fans are going to remember for a long, long time. I mean, especially coupled with the fact that this team traded a future draft pick that they may yeah. not have this upcoming season for Kai to be on the team. And he, however this ends, presumably it's not going to end with him like signing a contract extension with Charlotte, which is obviously the goal when you trade back into the draft to select somebody that especially had the athletic on-court potential that Kai had coming into the league. Like we expected quite a lot, I think, when... Mitch like came up on the podium and was like, the phone was ringing off the hook for this 11th pick <clears throat> when James Booknight was on the board. We took him. We like, we knew that there was a lot here. Like when all these other teams were calling us, we like Kai so much. We traded a future pick to get back into the draft and get him. Like you're betting a lot on this here. If you're going to say the phone was ringing off the hook, but we didn't take any of these deals. And then we also gave up even more to get back into this class to get another guy. And it has 
fallen about as flat on its face as it really can, which is not, I'm not like, it's not necessarily like Mitch Kupchak or their evaluation staff's fault entirely. I'm sure there was some sort of like miscalculations in the evaluations. I'm sure maybe, especially in the case of what Kai has exhibited in the last couple of weeks, they've changed quite a bit as people since they were yeah. drafted. And that's why it's like, whatever it is that he's dealing with right now, like, I hope he can figure that out. Like, obviously we have no idea what triggered this, but he never used to tweet like this. He never used to make public trade requests on Twitter away from the team. So obviously something has changed in the last like few months. And I hope that that can be resolved in some way, like, because it's clearly going to yeah. like, this could end up with him, like no longer having a chance to play in the NBA. If it like, Oh, keeps snowballing. absolutely. Like, I mean, and it, that, that's I not what think... anyone wants. Like, it shouldn't I don't think be he anyway. is. And, and he he struggled to adapt to what the NBA wanted from him. And I, I think for me, this comes down to it was a scouting failure, like an sorry, an intelligence failure. Like they did not understand what made these people tick and the uh, the kind of strength and inner belief and whatever, you know, under having that's why you hear about a draft combine, people do all these tests and they get to speak to know the prospects and you know, Tyrese Halliburton is a great example. He was the guy who you could poke the holes in his game, but anyone you spoke to who was a scout or close to him is like Tyrese Halliburton is like a, just an all-time person. And those are the guys that you want to bet on. And there is a reason for that. And I think Charlotte did not have the intelligence about these players that they needed to make decisions. There's other reasons why Kai Jones was supposed to be in the lottery and slid down to whatever it was, 19. There are other reasons why James Booknight was supposed to be a top eight pick and he slid. And I think it's because other teams had access to that information. And I don't think the Hornets did. And years on now, the roster is paying for it because of the lack of talent in some areas. And they're paying for it literally for playing two guys who they've paid now for two going into year three who have not really helped them win a basketball game. Maybe one or two over two or three years. And when you're a team like Hornets wanting to build through the draft, like we've talked about all the time, you just can't afford to make those mistakes and then turn into an NBA contender. You can like muddle along as a 40-win team making some of those mistakes some year. But if you're going to build through the draft, you can't botch two first-round picks in the same year. Not even that they're disappointed from their potential, but they're not even a rotation player. That is, that's a big, that's a big question mark. So, um, I mean, how how we think? How do you think this plays out? Like from here, he's made this. I, it wouldn't even surprise me if he like tweeted out being like, "Ha ha, it was a joke. I'm not really requesting that tomorrow right. or today." Like his his behavior is so unpredictable. I've just got no idea how to read the situation anymore. Right, like that's why I was I said at the beginning, like it is the loosest use of the word official that you can possibly like. Who knows if anyone other than him was actually informed of that before that tweet? Like maybe the Hornets front office staff was reading that tweet being like, well, this is the first time we've seen that. Like, yeah. who knows? Like with what's happening. Like, and that's Did what, he get like, hacked? You know? Right, what, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like that, yeah. that, that oh, seems to work pretty often nowadays anyway. But like, I think like the only positive way that the Hornets as a team could salvage this, like without like just losing him or just waving him now or something would be to just aggregate his salary in a trade in some way. But obviously you're going to have to give up like a second round pick. Yeah or attach it with like another player that makes money so you can match up to a, another player's salary. Like, and that's just, that wouldn't be because he is going to that team because the other team is like, we can 
you know, re- we can salvage what this asset here and turn him into a good player by the time we need to like extend him to his next contract, which is that next summer, by the way. So this is real time is really ticking here already. So it's, well, uh, it's it, just, it's going to be so hard for anything to happen up. other than him just right. Like that option's not getting picked up. That's I can't fun. imagine anything happens other than he gets waived or just doesn't join the team this season and then just is an unrestricted free agent next summer. I, I think the option doesn't get, I think he gets waived before the option date even comes. That's my read in the situation now. I think that is most likely, um, you you know, maybe you say to him, we're going to waive you. And if you come back in a year and you've whatever rehabbed yourself, you've got a different outlook on things and you want to like, and if you can earn the, the trust and respect back of your teammates, we'll give you a two way slot and you can come back. But for me, this team is not deep enough in the front court or experienced enough to like just have that position filled by Kai Jones being away from the team for the whole year. I can assure you that that's not what new ownership will want either. So for me, I think he will be, again, this is new ownership. They did not select Kai Jones. This is someone they have inherited. And they probably, their first impressions, tell you what, probably not great. So I think Kai Jones is probably going to get waived. Um, I think they could then use that spot maybe to bring in a, another big. I mean, they could re- like sign Nathan Mensah. I don't love that move. I'd rather bring in a more veteran voice. Like I think B- Biz is still a free agent. Bring back Biz, hashtag. Um, I'm all about that. Um, or maybe they use it to take another backcourt option into the season. And they're coming I was, I was just going to say, you got, you got two guys fighting for, three guys fighting for a roster spot right now. Why maybe. not keep Neil Aquina and Sumner? Or it's possible. Hunter? That's possible. Like, it makes them like, a and, small. and I'm sure the Hornets front office sees that too. Like these guys are here battling for a roster spot. Frank is like potentially like playing through a somewhat of an injury right now, as we'll talk about later. And Kai is just not here. So like, why not? At from their perspective, why not? Like these guys are here, committed, by, bought in, playing hard every day, and he's not at the moment for whatever reason. Yeah. So I don't know. Tough situation okay. all around. I hate that we have to lead off our podcast. It should be an exciting time of year on Kai Jones' trade request. But we we have to touch on it. Right, we have to touch on it. Um, Next up, Hornets injuries. We have our first injury report ahead of the preseason game, which is tonight, if you are listening to this on the day it is released. Uh, They're taking on the Miami Heat. And again, I would say mixed bag, right? You always want to just see no one on the injury report. That's what you want to see. But we have an update that Miles Bridges is going to be suspended in preseason, which if you've seen me tweet over the last week, you will have seen that I tweeted that he was available. Um, And then I tweeted later that he wasn't. And all I can say is I was told by... There was more people under the impression that he could play. Yeah, you you were not the only one that had tweeted that. There were, I think, pretty much every like Hornets media source was under the impression that he could play, up until yeah, it was we everybody was like seemingly informed around the same time that he couldn't play. So you you're definitely not the only one on that. I I thought he would could play too. Like correct. I didn't post it, but I was under the impression he could. Let's let me say I went out of my way before saying what I said to confirm. See, see there, play. yeah, not not so nobody was just throwwing it out there. So this no, was a this wasn't me assuming and throwing. I I had you know pretty reliable confirmation. And look, things change. That happens. Uh, so Miles Bridge isn't there. Uh, James Bucknight has a left knee sprain. We learned at the purple and teal scrimmage this weekend. He is not going to be traveling to Miami or Washington. Cody Martin, understandably, is out with his left knee injury. He was always going to be limited. I don't think that's a shock to anybody. 
Two-way player Leaky Blank is out with a left ankle. Okay, probably not someone fans are clamoring to see in the preseason. Um, you know, probably more of a Greens Transform guy this year. But the one we maybe haven't heard about is Teo Maladon with a right shoulder injury. Um, obviously, his shooting arm, his right shoulder, he will also not travel. So Bryce McGowan's Frank Nilakina, they are both probable for the Miami game. So McGowan's has a left ankle sprain. That was rumored to keep him out for a couple of weeks. It seems like I've seen him in some of the training camp images. So he seems to have been doing some stuff on court. It feels like he's going to be a go. And Nilakina has got the right hamstring. That's the hamstring that kept him out of the FIBA World Cup this summer for playing for France. So I, I don't know if it's been a reoccurrence of something in training camp, which I doubt. I think what more likely is they're kind of just like managing it. There's some like maybe residual soreness um, or they're just trying to manage his load because he's coming back from the hamstring injury. So not a clean injury report, but on the bright side, I don't know if there's anyone there apart from Cody Martin who like features to be part of this team's top eight. And like, Big picture, those top eight guys matter like way more than these fringe guys, right? Infinitely more. Like if you told me, even if this was opening night, the injury report, I think that's still like a win. Obviously yeah. not having your full <laughs> rotation it. in Cody Martin would is ideal. You want to have like what is probably like your sixth, seventh, eighth best player, depending on how you view him. But like getting that top starting five with your six man locked in and either PJ or whoever, Brandon Miller, whoever that ends up being at the beginning of the year, that is infinitely more important. And just being able to see those guys on the court together and kind of see how they mesh for, I think Steve Clifford said most guys are going to play or like 12 to 14 minutes per game uh, in the first preseason game, or they're, or they're going to use 12 to 14 guys, I should say. I'm sorry about that. They're not going to play 12 to 14 minutes. They're going to play about 12 to 14 players, use a very deep bench, obviously, give everybody reasonable minutes. Starters will probably play heavy in the first half and then they'll hand it over. So it's really just kind of sucks for those like Teo Maladon, Leaky Black, Bryce McGowan's maybe, the, even Frank Nielkina perhaps, like that would have been those guys that are getting extended run in the second half to kind of prove themselves a little bit, but are not getting the chance to do that. So, I mean, Amari Bailey, Nick Smith, like going to get probably pretty heavy minutes for what is going to be their first taste of NBA on-court action. So should be interesting yeah. to watch. James Booknight is the disappointing one. He's out, I think, indefinitely is the term that I've seen yeah, running around. Yeah, I believe so, yeah. Um, it's, it's been classed as a left knee sprain at the moment. Um, so hopefully we'll get a little bit more clarity on what that is. And again, just like typical for Buck, you know, McGowns is out potentially. Um, Cody Martin is out. You think, oh, there's an opportunity there. And then he just gets a left knee sprain. And like for him, it's just... Uh, I mean, I feel like we said every year it's an important training camp for James Booknight, but when his option, which we know we talked about in the past, for his fourth-year option is up this month, he needs to play well. And it seems like he probably only got three or four days of training camp before suffering this knee injury. So, um, I mean, if James Booknight is out from, let's say, the rest of the month, I don't know, but let's just say the Hornets have to make a decision on that fourth-year team option after seeing him for, what, three and a half days? of training camp, I can bet that is going to be a, a difficult decision because I think this next month is going to be key for, the, for him. Yeah, and it's like I, you have to believe that with what he has shown on the court so far, they're probably leaning towards no. Like, And then that just makes that a much harder no because now you're making that decision with like an incomplete information and 
you never want to be making decisions without having like all the information in front of you or any, you know, a lar the yeah. largest sample size you can possibly get in the NBA. And they can't do that right now. So it's definitely Even preseason for Buck. Like those 14 yeah. minutes he's getting on the floor, are they, they are so like valuable to him. Yes. And he, it sounds like now he's going to miss at least the first two preseason games. Even if he plays in one of the next two, you imagine he'd be rusty because he's not been on the court for a week, would lose his wind a little bit. So this hill is just getting steeper and steeper, I think, for James Bucknight to climb. Um, and I, I also think how the likes of you know Frank Nilakina and how Nick Smith Jr., how they've looked in training camp, are going to all be playing into this decision as well in terms of that cost-benefit analysis long-term. Yeah, right. And that... and if anybody ahead of him plays well, like you can pretty much kiss that chance goodbye. Like, cause you're not getting a crack at the rotation probably as the 13th guy in the regular season. The preseason is the time for that. So it's it just for young players and guys that like aren't in the rotation, like right at the edge or in book Knight's case have an option year coming up. The timing for this is just not ideal at all for like Teo Maladon. He can rest. Like he's on a two way already. Like basically his role is kind of just locked in. Like unless the Hornets, want to sign him to a guaranteed deal for the backup point guard spot but it's gonna be tough to reclaim any sort of spot on the yeah. fringes of the rotation for book night right now um anything else here that you want to touch on injury wise uh I don't, I don't think so i think pretty much i mean like like we said it, un, unfortunately it was kind of expected that cody martin was going to be I, I believe they're still referring to him as day-to-day -day, just limited haven't really given like an official time frame on it or like a, like an in or out. Obviously he's going to be out for these two preseason games, but even beyond that, the last preseason game, we don't know yet. Opening night is obviously the bigger question. So we're going to continue to wait and see with Cody Martin as we have been doing for like a full calendar year now, unfortunately, which is just a story of life. It seems for Charlotte Hornets fans in the last year. Yeah. Okay, well, before we move on to our next section, we're going to be talking about the Hornets rotation. I want to quickly tell you that All Hornets podcast is brought to you by allhornets.com. They're a credentialed Charlotte Hornets outlet, and we are powered by Sports Illustrated. Allhornets.com aims to bring you 360-degree coverage on all things Charlotte Hornets, from breaking news, game recaps, rumors, starting fives, fan Q&As, in-depth analysis. Allhornets.com does it all, and nobody does it better. Um, Austin Leak, the founder of the Charlotte Hornets only Instagram page, uh, he has just po posted a massive long form article looking at Mark Williams, the evolution of Mark Williams. Uh, make sure you go check that out. Really good, interesting read about where kind of Mark Williams journey from being last year into this season and, and some things to be excited about. So make sure you go read that for allhornets.com. Okay, Chase, I challenge you to go away and come up with your rotation predictions for the first 10 games. And this is no Mars Bridges. Um, and I kind of, we've said that basically to do a rotation with Cody Martin, if he's healthy and then also one without. So um, I guess first, before we get into the detail of, of who both of us have picked, how hard did you find the exercise? Did you think it kind of wrote itself or was it challenging for you? It actually kind of fell into place very nicely for me because obviously i assume the same is for you the starters were the same no matter what like with or without cody martin so that and the hierarchy of minutes for the starters i thought was pretty easy like you obviously want Lamelo and rozier on the higher end hayward on the lower end because of the risk of you know him falling in his arm or ankle just snapping into a million pieces and then pj and mark probably on the lower end as well of the minute spectrum 
And then the bench, like with or without Cody, is a little bit different. But yeah, I feel like you still have like you want Brandon Miller near the top of your bench rotation, regardless. So it, it did fall into place pretty nicely for me. The the way that and it, it helps that the Hornets' talent is like kind of spread out across the positional spectrum for like the rotation players. Like at the end, the guys that are on the fringe of the rotation, you basically have like four off-ball guards and like Nick Smith, Bryce McGowan's, Frank Nealthina, Edmund Sumner. Like James Booknight, like how do you, how do you pick between those guys? But ahead of them, it's actually a lot easier. I thought. Mm. Yeah, I think starters. You're right. Starters are pretty easy. I found the backup guard rotation the most challenging aspect of it, and and also something that we're going to get to. I think there's some interesting lineup discussions and debates, and we're going to get into this as we get into in, into the details. So. Uh, Chase, do you want to hit me here with your starters of the first 10 games and and the kind of the approximate minutes you think they're going to be pulling? So my starters, first 10 games, LaMelo, 32 minutes leading the team, Terry Rozier, 30 minutes per game, and then Hayward, PJ Washington, Mark Williams, all at 28 minutes per game. Wanted to keep basically as much talent as possible on the floor as long as possible without you know, giving like a playoff type rotation where every starter is at like 30 minutes a game. So you can start it off a little bit slow, but you're still like clearly favoring your best five players over the guys that are at the end of the bench. Yeah. I, we, we, we match on the starting fives, right? Uh, so I, I agree with you there. Our minutes are actually almost identical. We have the same minutes for PJ go. Washington, Mark Williams and Lamella Ball. So we are very well lined up. Um, I have... Gordon Hayward at 32 minutes per game. I think you had him at 28. Yep. My reasoning, I think he should be at 28. But we say this going into every season where we think, you know, Gordon Hayward's mm-hmm. getting older. He's got injury history. We have to manage his minutes. And then the coaching staff say it. And then you look back at every season and Gordon Hayward is so valuable to the team that he ends up playing, like averaging the most minutes on the team, like almost every season just before he gets injured. Uh, maybe that 21 22 season weren't him and miles one and two in total minutes played uh like up until he had yeah. gotten hurt in february so yeah, yeah you might you might be right like he might be the he might get more minutes than lamello at this point like 34 and, and generally nba coaches play their best players a lot of minutes and if there's one thing that we've learned from steve clifford this training camp that like terry Zier and gordon hayward seem to be the guys who have been the stars of training camp so i had terry Zier at 34 minutes gordon hayward at 32 but I mean, this is all projections and, you know, games in our eight. We're pretty much a wash there. I think that's pretty certain, really, for training camp. And that's going to be the starting five, starting preseason. So I think that's good. You're going to get some continuation there from, uh, you know, carryover. It's not like I saw some of the preseason lineups with some of the other teams, and they've got one or two players missing from their actual starting lineup. And that's that's going to hinder that, you know, chemistry. So I think that's positive. Um, second unit. Nick Richards is obviously going to be the backup center unless you went rogue and went Kai Jones. The trade, the trade request, Kai Jones did not go rogue. I did not grant okay. uh, go uh, disavow Kai's wishes. He is no longer in the rotation per his own desires. Yeah, uh, we both have him at twenty minutes, I presume, behind Mark Williams at twenty-eight. Yep. Yeah. Just yeah. Fill, filled out the full forty-eight with Mark and Nick. I would love to see a small lineup. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think it's going to happen. Not early on, I think. It, right. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it, if someone gets hurt, then yes. almost certainly it will. But I mean, JT then, Thor might be your backup five. Like he might be your backup five now after Nick yeah. Richards. Right now, yeah, yeah. I think he kind of has to be. 
it's possible. It's him or PJ. I, just with his size and length and how yeah. Steve Clifford talks about him. Now, obviously, PJ Washington's done it before and for a lot more minutes. So he's more proven. But we also know that when PJ Washington plays the five, this team does not rebound. And this team is not good defensively. And those are two things that Steve Clifford very much values. Um, so it, it wouldn't surprise me if they experimented with it. Uh, right, let's go through the rest of this backup unit here, position by position, a little bit slower. Uh, give me your backup four and their minutes. So my backup four, this is, are we, we're doing the bench without Cody Martin first, correct? As if he were not available uh, or with him available. Let's okay. Let's do it without. Let's do it without Cody Martin because he's going to be out the first preseason game. We don't have a, de- a date. Yeah, let's do, let's do without Cody All first. Right. So my backup four, if Cody Martin were not available, obviously you got to throw this one to JT Thor. I gave him eighteen minutes yep. too. I think there's more than enough time to like get into a rhythm while not putting him on the floor for like more than you would want necessarily. Because at this point, I think he is still pretty far away from being a consistent contributor offensively, but the defense can definitely flash in those 18 minutes. Give him like maybe two seven-minute stints or something like that, and then a four-minute stint in the second half or the fourth quarter or something like that. So I think it sucks that with kind of – I think when the team's fully healthy, it kind of shakes out that he might not be in the rotation, like unless Steve Clifford Mm. would have stretched it to like nine or ten guys, which he seems to be like somebody that is – in the favor of the coaching staff. So it would be unfortunate if the math just didn't shake out for him and there were just simply were not enough minutes to go around. Cause I think this, the coaching staff would like to give him an opportunity if it was there. And this would be an op- a, a great way to do that. If Cody were out. Yeah. And I think this in some ways is a blessing that Miles Bridges is out for the first 10 games because it gives them time to look at JT Thor. He played exceptionally well down the stretch of last season. You look at the season stats, you will be won't be impressed. But if you look at those last 10, 15 games and you look at how Steve Clifford spoke about him, like the game really did slow down for him. And if he plays the same offensive game that he was playing towards the end of last year, I think he was shooting well from three. He was, you know, even going to that mid-range shot, he was just looking a lot more comfortable out there. So I, I'm in line with you. I have JT Thor. I'd have a 16 minutes per night, um, you know, solid backup four minutes. And I agree with you. I think even when Miles Bridges is back, it wouldn't surprise me if they find a way somehow, somewhere to try and get JT Thor some minutes because he is one of this team's better defenders. Like Steve Cliff has talked about it. He's probably like knows the game plan and executes one of the best on the defensive end of the team. And Steve Clifford wants those guys to find a way onto the floor. So I went JT Thor as the backup four two. Um, your backup three, Chase, reveal. Backup three, the number two overall pick, Brandon Miller. And I went, I wanted to yeah. keep it in sync here. I gave him 24 minutes per game as well. And that makes him the team's sixth man right off the bat for me. Nick Richards, obviously, is at 20 minutes to fill out the center rotation. Brandon Miller leading the second unit minutes per game. And I mean... Given the lack of a, you know, secondary, true secondary point guard behind Lamelo, obviously you assume that he plays with Terry Rozier quite a bit, but he's going to get quite a bit of opportunity to be a playmaker with this second unit if he played that much too, which is a great thing for to get to tap into early in his career for him. Because if you can get those reps early on and like iron out the kinks as a 20 year old rookie rather than you know being slowly like brought into it and integrated like maybe how like Mark Williams and Lamelo were. Like he's going to just be farther along in his development and getting comfortable playing in an NBA game, which 
all the reports out of camp seem like he's already pretty comfortable doing that anyway. Yeah. So, and this would just go even further towards like establishing him as like a bona fide like rotation player very early on in his career, which would be huge for the Hornets' depth this season, especially if they want to be a playoff team. Yeah, I, Brandon Miller, I've at twenty minutes. I, uh, I think by the end of the season he'll be where you are, if not playing even more. Um, Me too. Just the way yeah. these things go. To start the season, I went a little bit more conservative. You know, Steve Clifford might not want to throw the rookie in too much early on just while he gets to grip he'll probably make some mistakes early on and so I, I went Brandon Miller 20 minutes as well I had him kind of joined off the bench with Nick Richards around 20 minutes per game but but that could change um now to the backcourt and I think this is where it gets trickier for for me who is your and, and depending how you've lined this up these might be more interchangeable position wise between like a traditional point guard and shooting guard but where did you land on your backcourt yeah, so mine, I, I don't know if this would be necessarily like unpopular if you were to get like Hornets fans and media that could all build their own rotation. I don't know if this would end up where, mo or if I ended up where most people would, but I split it between McGowan's and Edmund Sumner, uh, with Bryce McGowan's getting 18 minutes and Sumner getting 14 minutes. Uh, and it kind of goes back to what I was just saying about Brandon Miller, but like if Brandon Miller is the only playmaker in that unit, I think with Edmund Sumner gives you the best chance between like, Maybe him, Frank Nielakina, Nick Smith, or I, I guess even Amari Bailey or Teo Maladon on a two-way. I think that gives you the best chance of having like a secondary ball handler, somebody that can even like masquerade as a lead guard for a couple possessions, which I, Sumner is not like a point guard, but his ability to like handle the ball, get downhill, he's 6'4", gives pretty, pretty good positional size to defend on the other end. A good finisher at the rim, slightly improving shooter over the last couple of years, but even then, that's not something that, Frank Neil Keener or anything is going to give you anyway. So it's kind of a wash in that regard. I just think he gives you the most offensive juice as like a backup ball handler, basically. And right now that's what the team needs in my mind. Like, I don't think this team's shortcomings, especially with this rotation right here that I have is defense. Like you have JT Thor playing 18 minutes, Nick Richards, Brandon Miller, and basically your whole starting five with the exception of Terry Rozier and Lamelo, are like good to like above average defenders. Like, so I, I would rather go with that last spot in the rotation, like 14 minutes a game, just give you somebody that can give you some punch as like a driver scorer type rather than versatile wing defender in Frank Nielakina. Mm. I, I completely understand that point of view. And I, I thought about it. I played around with it. Um, it's not what I've got down. But before I did this exercise, before we had the injury news, right? And I, at this point, I thought Bryce McGowan would probably be out because of that ankle sprain. And I thought that Teo Maladon might be healthy. And what I actually had was Teo Maladon and Frank Nilakina sharing the backcourt. Um, Teo is the point guard. <clears throat> now I would actually change my mind because this right shoulder injury impact, McGowan's is back playing. I think I would maybe lean. It'd be Frank Nilakina and Bryce McGowan's, which... I have some serious questions about the point guard play on that kind of backup unit. But if I've learned one thing over the years, the many years of watching Steve Clifford teams, is when there is a defense first guard in the mold of Michael Carter-Williams or in the mold of Dennis Smith Jr., Steve Clifford is going to find a way to get that guy minutes. And the way that he's already talked about Frank Nilakina being an elite defender, the fact that they gave him that kind of more guaranteed contract, more so than Edmund Sumner. And 
that, that Cody Martin, I think, is probably going to be out. I just think Frank Nilakina is a Cody Martin light. And I wouldn't even shock me if they try and look at Frank Nilakina to play some point guard. I mean, this is what he came into the league doing. In New York, he played around 50% of his minutes as a point guard. And then he went to Dallas and he played next to Luka Doncic, who has the ball 90% of the time. And it is all based around Luka and he had to adapt. And he's now going into year seven. He's got a little bit more experience. I just think in preseason, now is the time that you can experiment with that um, and you can see what it's like. So I've, I had Frank Nilakina and Bryce McGowan's, but I admit there is not a great deal of shot creation there. And, and I think your unit is better with an Edmund Sumner piece, but still isn't great. You're talking about Brandon Miller and Edmund Sumner basically being your like creative players, those players who are good at making plays for others. Because JT Thor, Nick Richards, and Bryce McGowan's aren't necessarily like guys who create a lot for others. They are more guys who like you get them the ball in the right spot. Like McGowan's will drive downhill, shoot open threes. The other guys are not creators. They are finishers. So I do have some real concerns about that like second unit playing together. And the more and more I look to this chase, I just think they have to try and stagger some of that second unit with the starters. Do you not agree? Like you've got Absolutely. so many playmakers in that first starting unit. You you move Gordon Hayward uh, to the two with like in the backup unit alongside Brandon Miller and Frank Nilakina. That makes some sense. You put Terry Rozier in there, but just keeping those two units separate, I think this second unit will really struggle to score the ball. And until Miles Bridges is back, then then the dynamic changes. But until that point, I worry about the offense in that second unit. I literally wrote down as a note under mine, like where I had the bench, was that I would take Lamelo and Hayward out first, and then, or I would take Lamelo or Hayward and Rozier out first, and leave Lamelo in with the bench, and then reinsert yeah. Rozier as your basically your backup point guard. But he is goes back in with Hayward and is still playing with at least like one other starter at a time, so that he's not tasked with just setting the table for the entire Absolutely. offense the whole time. Couldn't agree. Lamelo's creative those agree young more. players are going to be able to play off of Lamelo's creativity than like running down the court, hearing Steve Clifford call out a set, looking at Terry, like waiting for him to initiate it, and then running a set play. Like they're like getting out and running with Lamelo, being able to flip some underhand pass the length of three quarters of the court while they're just on a full sprint. Just a much easier route to creating quick, efficient points, I think. And that was really that was what I was trying to do with this second unit here because I think Edmund Sumner could be that guy. Like his downhill driving is very interesting to me. Like alongside yeah. Lamelo as like a just like a quick pitch play. Like you could set up so many of those like type of actions that they used to do with Bryce McGowan's last year just to get him going downhill. You can basically do the same thing with Edmund Sumner. So I, I'm very I, I actually because right now they only have one roster spot open. It would basically they. I, we assume that they're deciding between Neil Akina and Edmund Sumner. Neither of us had RJ Hunter in our rotation. I can't yeah. imagine that he is the one that makes the team over either of these guys. But he's destined for Greensboro, I think. Yeah, I think I that's think so. like already a done deal. I don't think he's really fighting for a roster spot. Yeah, no, I, I don't think so either. But I, I at this and at this point, like if they do end up waving Kai, like otherwise, like I don't know how, how are you going to decide between Neil Akina and Edmund Sumner because you need what both of them give to you. And like, it seems like both of them have played well so far. Like the Edmund Sumner has been featured 
more heavily than most fully non-guaranteed contract players in like the training camp behind the scenes videos and of him like finishing and driving and being on the court and whatnot. And like Cody Martin's not there. Bryce McGowan's hasn't been playing as much. James Booknight, like he's obviously getting some runs. So I this day it's going to be tough. I think tougher than it usually is. I think to decide for on your 15th guy for the Hornets. And I mean, that I think is evidenced by you and I having the complete inverse between those two guys and the end of this rotation here. Yeah. I mean, I've just, I've just not heard Steve Clifford talk about, Edmund Sumner at any point, I didn't think. And I've heard him yeah, talk about Frank Lakina. Now, I think he was asked specifically about Frank. Um, and that's why he got and all it would take is one question tomorrow and for Cliff to go, Oh, he's done really well. He's done really well. And I would probably flip this in a minute, right? But, but at this stage, with the information we have, um, and just knowing from what Steve Clifford values as a coach, I just lent towards the the Nilakina side, but um it's difficult. And and that backup unit, I have to say, that backup unit with no Bridges, with no Martin, I think it will struggle. I don't I don't look at that and I think like, no, this is a good unit. I think that's a unit that's gonna that's gonna struggle. You're relying a lot on rookie Brandon Miller carrying that offensive second unit. And that's why, like you said, they, they have to try and find a way to figure this out, to stagger this. Um, they can't just go full bring it put in the bench unit because this team is is not deep enough until these suspensions and injuries get cleared up uh, for that to be the case. I, I mean, guys, we didn't mention, Buck Knight injured, Kai Jones obviously away. Nick Smith Jr. is a guy on the full roster who neither of us have mentioned yet. Um, I think from my point of view, just you have to be an exceptional rookie for Steve Clifford to play you from day one. It was clear in some league to me that he is not a point guard. He is more of a shot maker. Um, and the, the team could need that in that second unit. That is that is possible. Like I'm not completely ruling it out, but I think there are safer, more experienced veterans who I imagine would get first crack before Nick Smith. Yeah, and I also think like at this he's the type of player or where he's at in his developmental stage or the stage he's at in his player development, he's probably better off playing like 28 to 32 minutes in a game than playing like 10 to 14 minutes I think like just the volume of reps that he needs because like you said he's not a point guard yet but he's like too small to be just like a scoring wing or scoring guard really so he does need to supplement that with something like whether it's defense like playmaking you know just like energy like hustle plays or stuff like that like I think that's just much easier to figure out in a like with getting tons of minutes as a starter in Greensboro than having to come off the bench in 14 minutes and you have to be perfect and execute or else you're going to lose that spot because you're already not playing a lot and you need to help the team when you're out there. And obviously helping the team win games on a nightly basis is not the complete goal in Greensboro. So I think that's just a better spot for him right now. And then when Miles Bridges gets back, it gets really complicated. And we're going to tackle that. We're (laughs) going to tackle that uh, rotation projection discussion another time because like, there's no point talking about it now. Because what we think we know now to what we know after like 10 NBA games, we're going to be in a different stratosphere. It happens every single year. Like you learn so much in that time. And it will probably be very obvious to us at that point what will or should happen in the rotation. Whereas right now, it kind of seems complicated. So, um, but yeah, we're, we're pretty much matched up. Some minor disagreements around those backcourt roles. But I, I didn't feel strongly about that. I can see that playing out anyway. Um any final thoughts here on this Hornets rotation before we hear from Nick Richards? 
Do you want to do our rotations with Cody Martin real quick oh. if he were to be available yes. for these ten games? Yeah, I, I, I imagine it's still very much. Mine is very similar, just with Cody Martin in place and with a higher minutes load than a couple other guys. But you, you hit me with yours first. What is your bench rotation with Cody Martin healthy, which we're speaking it into existence is going to happen on opening night this year? Uh, yeah, I I went with again. I don't love how these two play together, but I hope it wouldn't happen that much because of the staggering. Cody Martin and Frank Nilakina both in the backcourt. Um, and I basically would drop out that Bryce McGowan's Teo Maladon spot um, just because I think Steve Clifford might like to have find a way to get both those guys on court. I know people say, well, they kind of like offset each other in terms of they both specialize in the same areas and that like on ball defense. But I just think from like you're talking about caliber of player, I just think those two guys are probably a little bit of a step ahead right now. Um, and I think Cody Martin and Nilakina have more playmaking than McGowan's uh, and they have better defense than Maladon. So that's what I went for. I still had his minutes like pretty low just because I think if they do bring him back, it'll be very slowly on probably minutes limit um, to start. So I still had him basically just slotting in into that spot in the backcourt. Yeah, I basically, I took JT out, took two minutes oh. away from Bryce and then put Cody Martin in at 20 minutes. Which ends up with a pretty small second unit. Bryce McGowan's like, ahead of JT Thor in your. I just, I, wow. I just think that this this team just needs offense, like to a noticeable degree more than they need defense, especially in the second unit right now. Like if so I, I also I was thinking about this too. If Teo Maladon were on a guaranteed contract, he would be like no question, like 14 minutes in this for me. But the fact that he is limited to 50 appearances this year. Like they have to, they they have to use them sparingly. Like they can't just put him in the rotation when there's not like an injury or foul trouble or something, because then you're gonna burn ten of his fifty. You're gonna use like twenty percent of his total availability for the season, like right in I this see, first like couple weeks. I don't view it that way at all. I view and this is interesting. I view it completely okay. differently. I view it as if you reach a point where Terry Maladon has reached his fifty game limit. Then he's probably important enough that you need to like sign oh, him I, to a I fully, fully guaranteed contract. And at that point, you just find a way to make that happen. I mean, he might even come out of training camp. I don't know about this right shoulder injury, but if he, I still think there's a world where he earns a full rotation spot, like he, it wouldn't shock me if he proved that he was the best backup point guard ahead of Nilakina and Sumner. He, he's a more traditional point probably than both of those guys. Oh, so. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think for me, it's like if he's playing good enough that he plays in 50 out of the first 50 games, then you find a way to make space from the roster and you you sign Maladon to a contract. So that's, that's I guess, how I view it in a, through a slightly different lens. No, I actually, I think I, I agree with that, like fundamentally. I just, I, it's just that 50 game availability. Like if that comes up and you have a full roster, then you're just like screwed. And then he just has to sit and playing Greensboro for however long until you open up a spot for him, which if you're going to leave that 14th spot open and just wave Neil Aquina or that 15th spot and wave Neil Aquina, Sumner and RJ Hunter right now, and just keep it open for a little while until you need to sign him to like, what would be a prorated veteran minimum contract for the rest of the year that I'm totally on board with. Like right now, I, I think he unquestionably is the best point guard between him, Frank Neil Aquina and Edmund Sumner. I don't think the other two are point guards at all. Like that's why I had him in my backcourt for that right, reason. Yeah, no, I, I, like, I, I this second unit that. needs some playmaking and like guard play. Uh, here's the 50 games falls after yeah. the NBA trade deadline. Right. So mm -hmm. straight away okay. there, even if you do reach that issue, there is probably something you can do at the deadline hmm. 
somewhere to to make that not an issue anymore. All right. I mean, we. I mean, there's a very chance we just or a very good chance that we just talked out like the Hornets' plan for adding a backup point guard for the se- second half of the season because that wouldn't surprise me at all. Because you can waive Neil Aquina or Sumner at any time. With I think Neil Aquina has a two hundred thousand dollar cap penalty if you waive him. Edmund Sumner's is nothing. So yeah. you can basically do it free of charge at any time. And if that it's if it's either Taylor Maldon reaching his fifty game limit or just being so good or so important when you play him that he earns that contract, you can just cut ties with whoever it is at any time. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised at all if, like, if we just like kind of talked out the future of Teo Maladon's contract. We're going to spend over the next an inordinate amount of time this season talking about the battle for like the third guard spot in this yes. roster, aren't we? I Between can players it. that would have zero chance of reaching the rotation on like yeah. 90% of other NBA teams as like a We're going to have fierce debates about Maladon versus Sumner versus Nilakina and who should get those yep. 12 minutes per night. Um, I can see how this is going to play out already. Okay. Absolutely. Um, let, let's move on to our last part of the podcast. Uh, we had Nick Richards join us for an exclusive, uh, which we're very excited. Thanks for Hornets PR and thanks for Nick for making the time. I will say uh, I, I did this one solo because it was a bit last minute. Um, unfortunately, I only had literally five. I was told I had five minutes with Nick and I had a lot more questions than would be for five minutes. So it's not as a, not as conversational as I would like. It was a little bit rushed. I kind of fired a lot of questions Nick's way in a limited amount of time, but I did manage to push it from five up to like seven, eight, nine minutes. I managed to get a bit extra out of him. So that was good. Uh, but yeah, make sure you stay on for our Nick Richards interview. And we will next hear from both of us next week, uh, next Monday. We'll have had a couple of preseason games by then. We'll have Hornets basketball to talk about. So looking forward to that. Absolutely. Shout out to Hornets PR for hooking up the interview again. We will see you guys in one week when there is NBA regular season basketball on the horizon. Thank you for listening. Okay, so joining me now is Nick Richards from the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, Nick, you just got done with the the Purple and Teal scrimmage. How'd it go? Uh, It was good, man. Uh, Everybody's getting after everybody practice, you know, work on what we need to work on. Uh, I think everybody came in in the camp really focused this year. Uh, It should be a good year for us. Good. And and last time I spoke to you, I uh, was in Vegas last year. And at that point, you told me you just started taking golf lessons. So I, was, well, I want to know now, at the time you told me that your handicap was probably 100. Have you? How, how are the golf lessons going? Right down to a 50 now. Hey, that's all right. Yeah, <laughs> it's all right for me. Not for, not for, not for someone that's really good. <laughs> um. I know um, the Hornets added Patrick Ewing over the offseason as a coaching advisor, and I know you picked up basketball maybe later than most, but as a fellow Jamaican, is, is that someone that you kind of were aware of growing up or that you looked up to at all? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, Patrick Ewing, he was always a big name on the island. Um, you know, everybody know, knows him for being one of the greatest basketball players of all time in the U.S., but also in Jamaica. Um, you know, he's also just by... Um, his name and, you know, stories of him, you know, is helping the sport grow in the, in the country as well. Um, so I feel like it's also my responsibility to help with that um, when it comes to Jamaican basketball. So what's it been like, you know, have you had much chance to work with Pat yet? Obviously, he's not been with the team that long, but um, have you had a chance to work with him much yet? Uh, work on the court? No, but 
um, before every practice, during the practice, and even after the practices, you know, he's always talking and giving me advice and telling me what he sees on the court and sees what I could do to make the team better and to make myself better. Um, but I think he's, you know, he's been very helpful for me and Mark and I. Um, and I feel like, you know, he's going to be like a key part for us in our, in our, for us the whole entire season. And uh, what are some of those things that you like? What are some of the themes that you're, you're hearing from him that he's saying? Are there any kind of consistent things that he's saying to, to you and Mark? I just, for me, I don't know what he's saying to Mark, but for me, for, it's just to be more aggressive um, on offense and, you know, don't shy away from the ball every time you roll. Look for it every time you're the first person down, the, down on the floor, you know, feel right under the rim and just look for the ball. You know, just try to be more aggressive. Yeah. And I, I looked at this, this, I don't know if you know this, of players who played more than a thousand minutes last year, you ranked the fourth most in the entire NBA while being fouled while shooting. Did you know that? Nah, I didn't know that at all. That's a good stat, the clip. That makes you, like, that makes, that's an elite skill, right? You know, you're fourth best in terms of rate, like being fouled. What makes you so good at drawing content, like contact? Um, I feel like one of, I feel like one part of it is I'm always going for the offensive rebound. Mm. And once I grab it, you know, a lot of te- a lot of uh, teams that just found me in the process of trying to go- of me trying to go back up. Um, but mostly, you know, most of my shots are all coming from layups and I, and I like most and when you get a lot of times when you go to the rim you get and you get contested on a layup, sometimes they're gonna foul you. And do you ever get like annoyed by how often you're fouled? I mean, you're a 75% free throw shooter. It's not like, you know, you're someone shooting 45, 45, 50% and they're just fouling you to stop. Do you ever like look around being like, why do you guys keep fouling me at all? No, I never do. You know, (laughs) shooting free throws is free throws, you know? Yeah. Points for me. And who gives out the hardest fouls you've played against? Any, any hard ones from last year you remember at all? Uh, no, nah, none that have really stuck out. You know, I think there's no teams that we play. There's no dirty basketball players. I think you know everybody's pretty clean. Everybody's pretty fair. Yeah, is what they're doing. Yeah. Um. Obviously, last season was probably your best as a pro. Um. I was curious, like, to what extent is there much competition between you and Mark? You know, fighting for minutes, fighting for a spot. Um. You know, how's that? How's that been this year? Obviously, like, you both had opportunities last year. Uh, would you describe that as like a healthy competition? For sure, it's a healthy competition. I've, I don't think we are looking at it as like, yo, know, we're going to battle each other out for more minutes. I think we're just looking at it more as like, we're going to help each other get better individually so that we can help the team during the season. And by us, you know, going, going, going hard on each other every single day in practice, you know, it's helping us individually as well, even though we're not mm-hmm. looking at that from that perspective. Okay. And obviously the first week of training come down, I know it's still early, but have you noticed yet any defensive scheme differences that might impact like what style you play this year or how you play on the defensive end? Or do you think it's pretty similar to what you did in the second half of last season? Pretty similar to what we did in the second half of last season. Um, uh, You know, not just me and Mark, but, you know, PJ Miles and JT, you know, they're all really good defenders, you know. Um, especially really good shot blockers as well. So not just the centers, but, you know, a lot of guys on our team have really good defensive skills. Yeah. And on media day, I saw you were, you were asked about um, your offensive screen fouls and you kind of like smiled and looked away. 
And I, I was curious from that reaction. Like it, it struck me like it's something that you've heard every day for like the off season or something like that. I was, it, was that the reason why? Or was this was there another reason you kind of reacted that way? Yeah, I, I really smiled because I wasn't expecting to ask that. Uh, okay. I haven't, I haven't heard about it all summer, and then I thought that you know out of all the things that I showed last season, all the improvements that I showed that you know I thought that he'll ask something more along that line than not something like that negative you know i get that i get that and you did talk on media day about you were wanting to be like more consistent i think that's what you said was your goal this year because you said that was that middle middle patch in the season where you felt you couldn't have played for you what is it that you think what means consistency for you how, how can you do that because it's obviously sometimes like eight to two games it's a lot what do you think you need to do to be able to be consistent um you know from a skill sample or a being in shape sample, I wouldn't say it's none of those. I say it's more of, you know, there's some times where you're, there's some games you don't want to play. Um, and just, you know, you just have to get through that mental, that mental fatigue part of it, you know, kicks in and, you know, you just got to find a way to keep fighting through it. You got to find a reason to, you know, want to go out there and play every single, every single night. And so I yeah. think that's, that's more, more of the lines of being consistent for me. And obviously for yourself, you were you were 22 when you came in the league, right? And it took you a couple of years to find your way. And last year you emerged probably as one of the best backup centers and could probably start on a lot of teams. Um, when you look at, you know, I think we have three rookies who are freshmen coming this year. How is that like learning adjustment, even as a 22-year-old for you, but for those guys who are 18, 19, do you look at that and think it must be even harder when they're, when they're that young? No, nah, I wouldn't say that they're hard. We have two good rookies that are, you know, they're willing to learn. Um, they take really good, they take really good advice from all the vets, myself included. You know, they're not really hard to talk to. They're like a sponge. They wanna, they wanna, they want knowledge for, for everything. They wanna, they wanna figure out how to make the best of their chance in the NBA. And I think that they're both gonna be really, really successful this season, and not just their entire career, but this season in particular. They're gonna, they're gonna surprise a lot of people. Yeah. And then just final question from me, you know, after the last season, uh, mentioned it's the best season of your career. Uh, do you have a, do you feel you have a different level of confidence going into this year, kind of knowing that you have a, a role in the team? Um, or, or are you kind of, do you, did you always have that kind of like self-confidence Is for you nothing changed? I've always had the self-confidence in myself, but, you know, I think that the more and more games you, I played last season, the more the games slowed down for me. Um, I felt like I could be, I could predict what's coming before it even happens. And I think that that's one thing that a lot of vets know about a lot, a lot of vets in the league that, that they have, they know it's about to happen before it even happens. And I think that's something that I'm, that's slowly, that's slowly coming to me. Yeah. Well, Nick, thanks. Uh, thanks a lot for your time. Best of luck with a uh, preseason rest of training camp. And uh, we'll wish you best of luck for the rest of the season. Look forward to watching you. Thank you. All right. See you, man. Yep.